This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. Uh, this week on our panel, we have Chris Fritz from the View core team. Hi. Divya Sasidaran, uh, developer advocate at Netlify and View contributor. Hello. Eric Hanchett, author of Vue.js in Action. Hello, hello. John Papa, web developer and open source contributor at Microsoft, formerly with Disney. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and I've been working on my Get a Coder Job course. You can find it at getacoderjob.com. This week, we have a special guest, and that's Sarah Drasner. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi. Yeah. Um, my name is Sarah Drasner. I'm on the View core team with Chris Fritz. John Papa is my boss at Microsoft. Uh, I speak at conferences with Divya, and she's going to be speaking at my conference uh, that I'm co-organizing later this week. And I think that that's like all the spidery connections of the, the people on this podcast. Nice. I guess my lame, I won't tell your boss line won't work on this show. Yeah. Yeah. You see that. <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, we brought you on. We had a bunch of different ideas of things we could talk about, but uh, I think the direction we're going to go is your article that you wrote back in February about replacing jQuery with Vue.js. Uh, yeah. Do you want to give us a little bit of context around that, and then we can start talking about it? Yeah, sure. Um, so actually, Smashing, um, I, I have a good relationship with Smashing Magazine uh, because I write articles for them sometimes and I speak at conferences for them. Um, and they reached out to me and said that there are a lot of people who are working with jQuery and they want to kind of learn or explore uh, frameworks in particular view. There's been a lot, they had had a lot of people asking about view that are, were really curious about it, um, but that they didn't know how to get started. And they also didn't, weren't quite, it seems like they wasn't quite clear if you needed a build step or not. Um, so uh, we kind of decided together to make this, replace jQuery with Vue, no build step necessary article. Um, it ended up being probably one of my most popular articles, I think because there were a lot of people who needed it, um, uh, that there were a lot of people who were ready to kind of graduate from jQuery, but didn't know what steps to take and also could kind of only saw the JavaScript frameworks from the point of view of using the CLI and stuff, which is lovely. The Vue CLI is absolutely wonderful. Um, but I think for some people, taking a step from, you know, jQuery and a script tag to all the way to using like uh, CLI as kind of greenfield was a big deal. And also a lot of people who work at things like agencies don't have the opportunity to necessarily move an entire project over from scratch. Um, sometimes they have to work very quickly. So, um, yeah, it was it was um, a really interesting article to to read and hear feedback on. I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from it from people that I've talked to oh, uh, who, who were able to get started with you because of that article. Like it gave them that push. That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it is definitely like 101 material. It's like, like I think there were a bunch of Viewcore team members who saw it come out and were like, oh, I have to read it. I'm like, it will probably not be very interesting for like a Viewcore team member, but like it is like kind of a, I think like a baseline um, if people 
are, you know, kind of heard about you and they don't know where to go from there. And I think it's still interesting as an example of how to like, introduce you to mm-hmm. people like in that demographic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, and I think actually I React did, <laughs> did, did one as well uh, following this. So, yeah. So do you think Vue is the next jQuery? <laughs> That's a dangerous question. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't necessarily think so because uh, I don't think, I think since we have three major frameworks that are all kind of working in the same ecosystem, jQuery was really like cheese stands alone for a long time. <laughs> um, and I think that competition is really good in the framework space. It really pushes everybody forward and people learn from each other. So um, I think that that's kind of works a- away from what jQuery had done. Uh, one thing that I would love if um, you kind of did as jQuery did was a lot of things got pushed into the browser as native advancements because of what jQuery made. And I think like observing the way that people are using things like our components and the way that people are using, like kind of abstracting some pieces um, certainly would be a really nice thing to offer people, um, you know, web developers. I know that like for Vue 3, we're dropping some like older IE support, pushing the browsers forward into, you know, things that kind of are more performant for all frameworks would be super great. Yeah, although I do, I do want to say before Vue 3 even, uh, when we maintain a next branch, uh, we will be maintaining feature parity with like a totally backwards compatible version that you can still use. There'll be, just be some like nice extras, mostly like performance improvements and sometimes just like things that make it make us easy, make it easier for us to develop Vue. Uh, oh yeah, I, I probably should have mentioned those that. features. That so yeah, we're not going to be dropping all support for IE soon. Just right, right, right. Sorry, I should have given more details. No, 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 no. No, that was fine. I just wanted to. So it'll be like a long-term support version. Yeah, they'll basically be like a kind of one that retains feature parity for older browsers, and then something that moves into the future that kind of allows things to um, be a lot more performant. That doesn't if you don't need to support those browsers. Yeah, because on the core team too, like we often build apps that need to support like IE. <laughs> so like it, it, it wouldn't be a possibility for us to completely drop support. Right. I'm usually just writing apps for myself, so I wouldn't cry if you did. <laughs> Are you writing like to-do apps or something? Oh, yes. Lots of to-do apps. No. Um, <laughs> so I've been working on a system for managing um, podcast um processes and things like that. And I wrote it in Rails. And so I just kind of pulled jQuery in. And so this is interesting to me just from the standpoint of how far can I get switching things over? The only thing that I'm really concerned about is if I move things over, I think I have one or two plugins in the system that require jQuery one way or the other. And so I'm wondering how much I can get away with moving off of jQuery and whether or not that makes a lot of sense, given that I'll still have to require both libraries, at least for the foreseeable future. Well, are you asking if you should move off of jQuery to Vue? Is that the yes. question? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm aiming at, especially since I, I have things that, re- that rely on jQuery to work right. I mean, I personally find that my code is much more maintainable and legible than it used to be when I was doing um, a lot of jQuery development back in the day. Um, most of the improvements that I see are that I'm not keeping all the state in the DOM and constantly checking the DOM for what's going on. I'm holding the state. 
Um, so I, I do feel like I'm a little bit more in charge. And also just the way that view is set up when you see the legibility differences between methods computed watchers, and then also even just, you know, data and life cycle methods, like you can, you can kind of at a glance, if you start getting proficient in it, understand what's happening so quickly. And I, I don't feel like I, you know, for jQuery projects, like for small things, it doesn't really make, you know, matter too much. But when, when something starts to grow and scale, that's when I really started to notice the difference between my jQuery code and my view code that I could really jump into an older project and know what was going on right away for view. And with jQuery, it took a little bit more mental overhead to kind of, okay, I'm looking at this thing, then that's going to do this other thing. Um, so it, it uh, is definitely the difference between more imperative style versus declarative style, which I really enjoy working with. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could always time box working with jQuery and working with Vue on something and then see how you feel when you come out of, I mean, I usually tell people uh, to try a project for a certain amount of time um, and see how they feel when they're working with it because you, I can tell you all day long how I feel when I'm working with these frameworks, but really you get a better sense of it when you're doing it on your own. You can also often just take like one small part of the application and convert that to view and see how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> I totally. think a lot of people are also surprised that it's, um, it, at least in my experience, usually less code in view. I think a lot of people are expecting, okay, well, this is like a big framework. You know, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to have to do all these different things to organize my code. Uh, but you can still like keep it all in the same file if you want. And it still will usually be less code than what you had in jQuery. Yeah, I do like the idea, though, of managing the state somewhere other than the DOM, because I do wind up doing a little bit of that. Yeah, I, that's just jQuery by its nature. I think it tends to do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard not to. I mean, you kind of have to just be disciplined. Mm -hmm. And at least for me personally, like I'm, I'm not always hundred percent disciplined if I'm going to be honest. So I, I like some, some good conventions to tell me like what the right way to like organize something is like, uh, you know, where I should put my state, you know, where I should put some methods, where should I put a state that depends on other state? Yeah, I actually think that your style guide, Chris, uh, for view is really helpful in that way because sometimes there are so many options for creating things that it can, you can kind of have, um, what's the word, uh, decision fatigue. And so yeah. sometimes style guides are really nice because not for being like, you have to do it this way necessarily, but like, if you really don't mind or care either way, or you're new to a framework, looking at something where someone's made a recommendation based on experience of what you know, we found that this way is a really good pattern because it scales and it's easier to maintain in the future. Uh, then you're not making those decisions constantly for yourself. You can try out uh, a way that's kind of, you know, set for you. Um, and then you can focus kind of on the part that you need to focus on, which is the business logic and, and what's going on in the, in the app rather than code style. Yeah. I've, I've talked to some people unexpectedly. They, mentioned that like having the style guide and like ESLint plugin for view helped them feel more confident showing their code to other people when they're like very new and they're worried like am I going to make some kind of mistake like put a space where there shouldn't be a space or yeah. put a semicolon where there shouldn't be a semicolon and to be able to just like at the very least blame something else for those style decisions uh, like made them feel 
more comfortable being a little bit vulnerable. Yeah, they didn't. They weren't as vulnerable. Totally, totally. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, it's part of the reason also why I uh, made those snippets for VS Code because there are times where like you know, I might, I might want to just like write props in an array instead of going through and writing the defaults and writing everything. So if I just write the props and it kind of gives me the, the template that I need to work with in order to create props, like each piece of it and making sure that they're exactly like I'm saying whether it's required, I'm giving a default, I'm saying what type it is, um, that kind of thing. Uh, those, those little pieces of helpers as you're developing can actually make your code more maintainable or keep you on track to like making, you know, making sure that everything is on the up and up for code review and for people, other people to look at your code. I really yeah, love your snippets. You. Oh, sorry, go ahead, oh, no, no. I, I, I just wanted to say, I really love those snippets because I use them all the time. Um, and it, like, like you said, it allows me to focus um, my, so I can focus on the logic rather than have to think about like, you know, the structure of the template and like missing specific things. And actually, I think I might, I might have mentioned this previously in the podcast, but, um, I use the, the snippets for like demos, live demos. And I've, the feedback I've always given is like people don't necessarily want to use Vue, but they want to start using the snippets. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, I'm still not convinced to move to Vue, but like the snippets make it look super cool. <laughs> it's just really neat. That's great. That's great. And a lot of people don't know this, but there's actually an option in Vitor now to disable Vitor's own snippets in case you prefer Sarah's, as many people do. Oh, cool. I didn't actually know. I knew you requested that, but I didn't know if it went through or not. That's awesome. It's happened. It's live. Yay. <laughs> cool. One thing that I'm curious about, I know a lot of people are still fans of jQuery, and you see it a lot still out there on the internet. Did you get any kind of reaction to this? Like, oh, this makes Vue a lot more approachable or, oh, this looks a lot easier or why do you hate jQuery or I don't know. Um, I didn't get a lot of hate. For, like, why did you hate, why do you hate jQuery? I got a ton of positive feedback on it. I also got some negative feedback, but not from jQuery crowd, actually, more from people who were like, why, <laughs> why don't JavaScript developers know that they don't need a build system? Um, that ended up being like a giant... Uh, debate that happened kind of without me. <laughs> I, I wasn't really involved in the debate. It just turned into like another kind of uh, conversation around whether or not JavaScript developers understand like what they're doing when they're making build systems or like that they could use even React in a script tag or, you know, um, just in general, what people know or don't know when they're using these abstractions. So uh, that was probably the most like negative-ish feedback, but it was also like a conversation to the side of the article. It wasn't really critiquing the article itself. And it was an interesting discussion too. This is one place that I feel Vue has really differentiated itself from the other leading frameworks is by having this really easy drop in a script tag and you can run, you know, we say 30 seconds to wow a lot at our office, but this is more like five seconds to wow, right? Mm -hmm. You drop it in, you're off and you're running. Uh, Sarah, in your opinion, what has this done for the view adoption? I mean, because the, the rate seems to be, you know, the adoption rate seems to be super high. I feel like that's a big contributor, but where do I mean, you I, see this really playing? 
Uh, I don't, I don't know that this in particular is a contributor, but I think it's kind of like a groundswell of a lot of articles that are coming out now. Like Scotch.io has a lot of really great articles. Um, some by Codebeast, who is my uh, co-organizer for the Concatenate Conference. Um, there's a lot of people writing, um, doing beginner material on Udacity and uh, Udemy, which I always confuse with each other. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I think it actually because it's kind of got a nice ramp up. And also I think our documentation for beginners is pretty nice. Uh, I think that really does help with adoption, like all together, like as a kind of groundswell. So um, yeah, I think that has had a lot to do with it. And then people using it, like word of mouth is really helpful as well, where people, you know, try out something for a minute. Like you, just like you said, they try it out really quickly and like can quickly get going, even if they don't have framework experience. But if they do have framework experience, I think then it's even easier because we've stolen so many things from so many other frameworks that like now, you know, if you're an Angular developer, the directives look very understandable. If you're a React developer, under like the components are really understandable. Divya does a really great talk about moving from back and forth from uh, React to Vue and how you think in both, how you can make comparable code for both, but actually how would you change that to think differently in each? So I think all these materials together do really impact adoption and probably it has to do with like the beginning curve. And I'd say without a doubt, the number one complaint I get from people learning, learning Angular, not once they're using it, but learning it is how hard Angular is. And when I, when I ask them what's happening, what makes them feel like that's the problem, it almost always comes down to, I'd say 99% of the time, it comes down to they're really struggling with the setup, um, the webpack configuration, karma, getting the files in order, how to do the build process, when to set certain flags. It's not even Angular, right? It's, it's getting to actually use the tool. And that's cool. why I feel like when I, I've I did a, at the same conference, I did an intro to view and intro to Angular and it did them back to back to kind of get a sense for people how to do these things. And it was shocking to me to see how quickly people were gravitating towards Vue. People who'd never used either before, quite frankly, that grew up good view because it seemed like to them and their feedback was, I can just slide into this. Like I can do it today. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's how a lot of us got started. I mean, personally, that's how I got started. I wasn't necessarily like looking to adopt Vue. Like I wasn't, I, I was added to as a consultant added to a project that already used Vue and in the process of working on it. And I, I didn't really want to, to be honest. I was like, oh man, I'm going to learn another framework now. And uh, I as I was working, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very professional. Yeah. So it was like, oh, yeah. Come on. You were a little skeptical about flavor of the week, JS. Yeah, I, I think I Neither was. Kind not, of, yeah. <laughs> you know, why do I have to learn this too? Um, and then I, I like in the process, kind of fell in love with it um, as I was working with it. As people make fun of me often about because it was very public. <laughs> My falling in love with you is like on Twitter, literally. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I think that that's, it's a really great development experience. And you're absolutely right, John, that like the CLI experience is a really big deal. I think go, you know, our view CLI three, that for me has been one of the best CLI experiences I've had where I can pick those different, you know, decide in each one if I want 
to use Babel or Babel, however you pronounce that on the radio, um, um, uh, SAS or less and all of the kind of things that I used to have to like go through and install one by one afterwards. Um, now I'm able to just set some defaults and get going right away. And it, even when I give workshops, people are, I can hear people say like, wow, um, <laughs> I think that that's really great to notice, to note that the developer experience is pretty important for getting people excited about a thing. And I think sometimes even just having something there that people don't understand at, at a point when, when they're still learning can create some anxiety for them. Uh -huh. you know, so even if there's just like, oh yeah, they, they know the terminal and they type something on the terminal and then a bunch of files are created and they don't know what half of these files are. Mm -hmm. Like instant anxiety, even if they don't need to know like what those files are. And, and that's a problem like in Vue too, like we can't completely get around and we're always trying to find better compromises. We don't want to completely hide everything from users. We want to... We don't want to deprofessionalize them. We want to empower them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, actually, I, I noticed that with Nuxt. Um, I think probably because I had worked with Vue and Vue Router and all of the things that it abstracts away um, uh, for you before I worked with Nuxt, I felt more comfortable with Nuxt when I was looking through the .nuxt folder and you know seeing some of the ways that they had kind of put it together. If I hadn't worked with Vue first and I just worked with nuts, I might've, it might've been too much magic for me. It might've been too like, what is this doing that I can just drop something in a pages directory and it sets up routing for me? Like, you know, I mean, that it's a really beautiful piece of magic. It's a really beautiful abstraction, but um, no kind of working with it at the base is a little bit helpful so that you can see what's going on for each part. And yeah, I think, Going from working with Vue in a script tag to going to something like a CLI might be a nice experience for someone who's a beginner because at least they're like understanding, okay, the Vue part of this does this and it doesn't do these other things. Do you think there's any disadvantages from going from Vue as a script tag to Vue's to, to CLI? Like if you're in a project? Like in the, within the same project or just in, as you're learning? As you're learning. I think it's going to vary wildly depending on the user's experience with JavaScript and JavaScript frameworks in general. Personally, um, if you have just been using jQuery and you have never used something like a CLI, it's probably, I mean, that's probably why that article took off, um, that it's, it's probably too much in some ways for them to immediately jump into a CLI and it might be a little bit more of a gradual, you know, understanding, you know, each piece to go from one to the other. Whereas if you're comfortable with the CLI for other tasks and things, going using a script tag might feel a little awkward. I, I think for me, it would feel a little bit awkward to just start a project with a script tag after having built projects with, you know, create React app and things like that. Yeah, I, I think the scope matters a lot and, and just like how you feel, mm -hmm. which you're getting to a little bit. Like if you feel like things are kind of weird or if you feel like things are too complicated, uh, then maybe you can try moving to something else. But if you're really happy doing what you're doing and you're able to like, it's meeting all of your needs for your application, I don't see any reason to move to something else, no matter what you're coming from. Yeah, and I mean, some of this is like a lot of, uh, stuff is dictated for you as you come into a project, right? Like a company has to decide 
some of these things together. So I think a lot of people don't even really get to, I mean, when they're learning, maybe separately, they can decide. But most people that I talked to who were excited about the article, it was really because they have a lot of really old projects that they need to move over and they don't have the client time to do that. Um, you know, it's not like part of the, t- the budget, basically. Um, so if you are working with like 60 clients, if you're working with one giant build, then maybe, you know, migrating is like a decision you make with your team. If you're working at an agency on 60 client projects, you might not have the same, you know, uh, time to do like a migration over to something like a CLI build um, for that client. I think it's worth mentioning also like jumping from just a script tag to a CLI that there's really great tools like Code Sandbox that has boilerplate um, out of the box. And so you can create a view template and it has all of the file structures for you. And you can push that into GitHub or you can download that as a zip file. And so you already have access to that and you can plug and play that easily into a project. And so like if a CLI has a huge overhead, there's tools like Code Sandbox that allows you to do that without you having to having the cognitive load of figuring that out yourself. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Like we have, you know, uh, CodePen, you are adding a script, script tag, but what CodePen offers you is that there's a huge community of people who have built stuff on CodePen that you can kind of reverse engineer or like fork and, you know, build something off of and kind of get started right away. And it's like already got Babel and Vue, so you don't have to set up mm-hmm. processor, preprocessors. Code Sandbox is awesome because you can actually see the whole project in the browser and work with it that way, like you're talking about, not feel like you're making a big investment. And uh, you also can explore on Code Sandbox. And Glitch even has a lot of view templates and some Nuxt templates that um, are really helpful. And it integrates really seamlessly uh, with GitHub. So um, there's like, you know, it's kind of like there's a bunch of different tools. They all are really good at different things and you can play with other people's projects, which is really cool. Yeah, I think I've used CodePen before. And the reason I moved to using something like Glitch or Code Sandbox is because in CodePen, you don't have access to your Babel RC file. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you wanted to use like JSX in your render functions, um, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> By default, they use React's JSX transform. Mm-hmm. And, and in Code Sandbox, you can make that change yourself and add that dependency. So. Totally. Code Sandbox just keeps getting better and better. I mean, yeah. that's a really great. Also, like Ives is the nicest person in the planet. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> I've only interacted with him on Twitter, but he's very, he's very active. He's a sweetie. Yeah. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do slash co slash views on view. So, Sarah. (laughs) Yes, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the ways that I've noticed that you get people really excited about Vue is through, I think this is not controversial to say, some of the best demos in the world. 
Oh, that's really sweet. Yes, uh, I don't think I can take that credit, um, but I, I really have a lot of fun. Oh, you, you outsource most of them? Is this what we find out? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually have an intern. <laughs> I, um, and she's amazing. <laughs> no, I mean, the demos, I just really legitimately have so much fun building. I mean, they're just, I, I have such a great time with Vue and the animation. I think Vue uh, does a really amazing job at integrating well with kind of more, you know, SVG and animation bits. And those are parts that really excite me. And I mean, great with Canvas and WebGL as well. So um, I just, I just have so much fun playing with it. Like I do it in my spare time. <laughs> so uh, that what a nerd I am. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, I, I think it's like kind of, out of genuine enthusiasm, like a puppy or something, like a view puppy. <laughs> what do you think? I, I'd actually be curious about like a, a talk on this sometime. What do you think is the recipe for a great demo? Like to, oh, to get people excited question. about something. Um, I think, but uh, are you talking you more from like how it starts or like what it, what has ended up working? Because I think that those are two different, things like I definitely have failed demos that I don't show people <laughs> um, so uh -huh. uh, so there's a, I think there's a difference between what gets me excited and trying things to try to make a demo and what has ended up being successful um, I probably know less about what makes it successful than the trying things part because my um, attitude towards web development tends to be one of curiosity and brute force, just like, all right, let's try all the things. And like some of those things work out and some of them don't work out. Um, and some of that, some of the things that I really like, nobody really likes. And some of the things that other people really like, I'm like, really that? Like, that's, Surprising. Um, I think like one of the, my more, most popular view demos was something I made backstage at ViewConf because I was nervous and Evan was sitting with me and was like, are you just like making stuff right now? I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, what should go here? And he's like, I don't know, maybe like this. And then I was like, yeah. And so then I like coded up <laughs> and then we decided to like take it in the Tron direction. But this was like a 20, it took me like 20 minutes to make the demo. And he's like, are you going to put that in your slides? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, why not? And like that ended up being really popular compared to like some stuff that I worked on for like 17 million years that everyone was like, that's okay. <laughs> so, so instead of a, instead of a fidget spinner, yeah. you, just, okay. <laughs> you did make a fidget spinner, right? Isn't that huh? fidget? Wasn't that you? Oh, I think it was, it was the dice. I think was the thing. That oh yeah. I made uh, I, I made some, some dice that, that, that weren't, that weren't that impressive, but. Oh, it was Sam Saccone that did the fidget spinner. Now that I'm thinking about no. it. We have in so JavaScript we have everything. Spinner. Yeah, he made a fidget spinner in SVG and I think vanilla JS just to show people how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I only know about this because he was like, I'm having transform origin issues. And I was like, Welcome to my life. Here's how to fix yeah, it. <laughs> I need that t-shirt. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the answer is always matrix calculation. Um, yeah. That's the back. That's in the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, when you got into animation, uh, was it just to, because you were excited about it and you were like making little demos, like, were you using this stuff in work at all? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, well, uh, my last job was being a consultant doing animation for large companies. So like Salesforce and, um, 
Smashing Magazine is one of them and a few other like kind of larger sites. Uh, I did some for Zillow when I worked there as well, although that wasn't my primary job there. I was maintaining the component library. Um, so, I mean, I have always kind of tried to integrate it into my work projects or people hire me because they know of my work now. But before that, I've always been yeah. kind of interested in animation because I wanted to be an animator when I was a kid. Like that was like my, my dream. Oh, really? Yeah. And then I, I went to college and tried to do animation in college. And at the time, computer animation was really buggy and kind of gross. And uh, I did a lot of cell animation, but that meant that I had to draw every single frame. And that really just took way too long. I was like, oh my God, I think I spent a week on something that was a minute long. And, you know, my professor really liked it, but I was just sitting there thinking like, I can't keep doing this. This is not going to, like, how am I going to make like a feature length something with this? So I kind of gave up on it for a while. I went into scientific illustration instead and then went into web development. Um, and so now it's kind of come back around. Like my life has come full circle back to something that I really enjoy. And I think that the, I even like this better than my original idea of animation because I do like fixing and understanding technical problems and like understanding what's going on under the hood and how performance works and like what's, you know, you know, building things with code. That's like, one of my favorite things. And now I get to pair it with this other piece that's kind of playful and where anything can happen in your imagination. And I think that's the part that excites me the most about animation is that literally anything can happen, you know, in, in real life or in stop frame or like any kind of thing where you're using people in a place, uh, you are kind of limited uh, by the things that you can either create or what you can make look real with animation, if you're, especially if you're, you know, kind of creating things from scratch, you can just do anything. And that is just particularly exciting, especially on the web, because I think the web is more than a document reader. It has so many capabilities and it's so easy to share with people. Like you can, you don't have to have backing by, you know, I'm going to say Disney because John's here. <laughs> you don't have to have backing by like Pixar or Disney in order to create an experience that you can share with all these people. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. Sarah, you have a really interesting background as a, a teacher, educator. Mm -hmm. uh, I find it fascinating. Would you mind just talking a quick bit about kind of how that's influenced you as being a presenter and also in the JavaScript community? Yeah, totally. Um, so I was a college professor at one point in the Greek islands. Um, I was a study abroad professor over there. Um, and uh, so basically that was, I mean, I love teaching. I really think that teaching is like, gives me so much joy, especially when you can work through a problem with someone and you get that light in their eyes of like understanding. That's probably one of the best feelings I feel <laughs> is, um, is experiencing that with students. Um, I also think that learning is really humbling and it's, it's hard. Learning is really hard. Um, and so making that process easier for people is kind of a goal of mine. Um, I really want to make materials that are the material I wish I had had when I was learning the thing. So anything that connects dots for people that was the piece that I needed to understand things. So like I wrote an article recently, um, not necessarily about Vue, but about the uh, reduce method in JavaScript. Because I've, you know, when I was 
first learning JavaScript, I found it difficult to understand. And um, what, what I kept finding in my classes in the courses that I teach is that that was the method that was tripping people up the most, that they would understand filter, they would understand like every other kind of way to work with functional programming, but the reduce method was something that people would kind of get tripped up on. So I tried to make uh, that article have a lot of like animated bits actually, so that we could, I could reduce the cognitive load for people of what was changing and what was shifting and why, and why those things were so powerful. Um, that is really fun for me to explore. Uh, I really, really enjoy it because connecting dots for people and hearing from people that, you know, the, the effort is worth it and that they could understand it a lot better and that they could start using that makes me feel like it's scaling my understanding. So it's not just like me understanding something for me anymore. It's like moving things through the community and trying to kind of scale that knowledge as much as possible. It's interesting what you said about uh, wanting to create the kinds of resources that you never had. I, I, I hear that from a lot of like my favorite educators that it, they don't, they didn't become a teacher just because they enjoyed school, but because like they wanted to be what they never had in their education uh, and, and bring that to other people, hopefully. And I think yeah, it's, totally. it's really hard to do that. And I, I'm, I, and I think many, many, many other people are grateful that you have managed to. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you you do that as well. I think everybody on this call probably does that um, really well. So that's why everybody's here, probably. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's. I think it's a really um, it's a really valuable thing for the community to share with each other. And also, it in some ways you can even be a little bit selfish about it because you learn it better. I mean, if you're teaching it you know, it's so much better than if you are just sitting there with the knowledge, like there's definitely things that I've implemented, where I like, okay, I know what this is, I've got a good grasp on it. But if I teach it to someone else, it's like in there forever. <laughs> um, if not forever, it's in there for a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so true. Even things that I've done a 100 times, when I'm teaching to someone, they'll ask questions, and be like, I actually don't know why. Right. <laughs> It's like, what if we wanted to do that? It's like, I have never had to do that before. I've actually just avoided it because I assumed it was impossible, but maybe it's not. Yeah, I think like I, uh, I wrote an article for CSS Tricks, uh, what does the H stand for in views render method? Uh, because I was in a workshop and someone asked me that and I was like, I actually don't know, even though I use this all the time, like it's, it's never something that I've had to explore. Mm -hmm. So then I, you know, sat down and wrote, like all of the, you know, different resources people could look at and also like the canonical examples past this because it actually didn't start with Vue at all. Um, and, you know, you can even see it in like CycleJS's um, uh, documentation. But that was definitely one of those times where I was like, wait, I, I use this all the time. Why haven't I, why don't I know this? <laughs> uh, so then writing the article was a good exercise because, you know, it really solidifies all of that knowledge too. Sarah, where, where where do you like to teach? Do you like to teach more in person or in conferences or workshops or in your tutorials or on video? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of enjoy all of them. I, what I really like about front-end masters is that um, I can teach in person and there are people online who are asking questions as well. And then it continues after and people continue to ask me questions kind of async later. Um, so it scales nicely. So you still get that like... Uh, 
in-person engagement and feeling like you're teaching people in the classroom and not talking to a wall or something and getting questions and feedback that way. Uh, but then it doesn't just get limited by that classroom size. I also just really enjoy being with the students. So I do like giving workshops at conferences. Um, when I was a consultant, I was giving quite a few of them uh, because it was it was just a great way to see what was working, what wasn't working, what people were understanding. I mean, you can think that you have, you know, written material that people can connect with, but you really don't see it until you're in the space with them and you're seeing what, you know, I think I'm doing another rev of my SVG animations course for front end masters after giving that many, many times at many conferences, because there were a few things where all the students got stuck on this one thing. And it's not something that you would think to cover, but it obviously is necessary because it's a big gotcha. So there's a lot of stuff. And also you kind of have this curse of knowledge if you know something really well, where you forget to explain something because it makes sense to you now. Um, and if you are giving a, you know, giving a presentation live in front of people, they're saying to you actively, oh, you know, I don't remember this. And you can kind of remember, it kind of triggers your memory like, oh yeah, I remember when I was confused by that. Okay, let me go back and try to explain that. But you, um, when you just generate online content, you might miss some of that. I still like making online content because again, like, yeah, you can reach so many people, but the, the feedback that you get in person is really kind of wonderful. Very cool. Yeah. I, I, I do some teaching too. And I've just, I haven't done a ton of in-person teaching, but I could see how that's such an important part of what you're doing and just talking to people and finding out where they get stuck. That's, that's a great way of, of learning. Yeah. There are a few things I find more terrifying than doing what you do, Eric, and uh, <laughs> sitting in front of a, a, a video camera and, and talking because I, I'm worried the whole time. Like, but I can't see people's faces. I'm worried. It's like, oh, they're going to think I, I try to be funny, but they're going to think that's stupid. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. There. <laughs> yeah, I think that you that's can see people's faces. You can at least see that it's not a disaster. <laughs> yeah. And then that's actually something that for concatenate conf, that's the one that we're organizing for in Nigeria that, um, Divya is going to be speaking at. Um, uh, Christian Nwamba, who's code beast on Twitter, uh, he and I and Brian Holt are organizing and, you know, a team of volunteers and other people are, um, are organizing this conference that's free for Nigerians, um, especially because people um, in Nigeria, sometimes can't get visas to go to other conferences or that, you know, the costs are too great. Um, so uh, one thing that we're doing since we have a lot of remote speakers is to make sure that the speaker can see the audience. So we have like a two-way camera instead of a lot of times online conferences, you're just like speaking into a blackness of nothing and you don't know if, you know, people are going to respond to you or they're laughing at your jokes or what have you. And it's especially weird if somebody at your in your house walks in on you talking to your computer and like laughing to yourself. <laughs> um, but for this conference, you'll be able to see like the speakers will be able to see the audience and the audience will be able to see the speakers and there will be questions back and forth so that there's a little bit more connection between the community. So is there someone in Nigeria that set up like webcams in a classroom somewhere? Uh, it's not a classroom. It's actually a giant venue. And Christian, oh. it, Christian Wamba is in Nigeria. And so oh. is a lot of the staff that we have there. Um, so we have like crews that are dealing with, we, we, um, rented a media company to help with stable internet and like the webcam access and making sure that everything is stable 
for the event. And um, there's like a whole crew, crew of people that are helping people with registration. So it's like, it's a real conference, uh, especially for the people who are coming in. It's just free for them. That's the only difference. That sounds like a lot of logistics. It is. Yeah. I'm, uh, it's in a couple of days. So it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of planning and stuff right now. I think I'm, I'm feeling a lot like, wow, this is a lot of stuff, especially because it's like before my wedding. So there's like, my life is logistics at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, but I think, uh, it's going to be incredibly valuable and we're going to do another one next year and even build on this event. Um, and we're looking for sponsorships. So if anybody is listening to this and wants to donate money, it's a really good cause and it's going to be uh, really wonderful. Next year, we're going to try to fly speakers out there. Um, so it'll be an even more engaging event. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Are, are you both prepared for your talks? Yeah. Well, what are you talking about? Go ahead, Debbie. Oh, about? yes. Um, I'm giving the talk I gave at ViewCon earlier this year, which is like moving from React to Vue. Um but I made some updates to a few of the demos because usually at the end, um, where I talk about renderless components, which is actually like my favorite part of the talk, um, I try to make it specific to the location that I'm in. And so when I was in New Orleans, it was specific to New Orleans and like where we were. And so for the upcoming concatenate conf, it'll be like in, it'll be based like in Nigeria and like has some visualizations around that, which I'm actually really excited about. Oh, cool. I, I might have gotten a sneak peek of that. Oh, nice! I didn't, yeah. I didn't even know what it was for. I, was, I just like, oh, it's that's Nigeria, and I didn't, I didn't make the connection at first. I knew you were speaking there, but I didn't make the connection. <laughs> yeah, at first. It was, <laughs> it was yeah, it's interesting. Cool. Yeah, like I, I'm actually really excited about it because it's like, um, I, I think I had a conversation with Chris about how, like, when you give a talk that you've given at another conference, it's like, how do you make it seem exciting to people? Because they probably saw it online already. And also exciting <laughs> and, to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And exciting to me because I feel like I'm really obvious about my emotions. And if I, if I have to do, like, the same thing over and over, I get really bored. Um, and so, like, yeah, creating the demo actually makes me more excited. Like, I... I follow Sarah, your same practice of like, I work on demos <laughs> before I work on talk content <laughs> because I'm like, I really want to create this cool thing. And like, it'll be really cool if I do this, but yeah. Yeah. I definitely build the talk around the demos. Like people are like, how long do you spend writing your talk? And then everybody's like, you know, an hour or something. I'm like many months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not for the talk itself necessarily, but if you add in all the demo work, then like for sure, a lot of time. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, that's that's super exciting and people are going to really love it. I mean, I actually asked her to give that talk in specific because there's a lot of React and Vue devs uh, coming to this event. And I think that talk is really well put together, especially if you're trying to Thank understand... You. Um, similarities and differences. I think it's probably the best comparative. It's hard to do comparative materials. It's really, really tough. And it's really, um, political. And you manage to not make it political and it's, and like really, really focus on stylistic changes and what changes for the developer and what changes, uh, between the components. And I just think it's really masterful. So, I, I kind of like asked her to, <laughs> to do a repeat performance. That's good. Cause I don't know anyone else who could probably pull that off. Like <laughs> I try, I try. Yeah. Are, are you giving a talk to Sarah or are you just organizing and making everything happen? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely not only me, thank goodness, um, with a lot of a lot of help. Um, but yeah, um, I am giving a talk too. I'm giving a talk uh, called Serverless Functions and Vue.js. It's also um, a, a repeat, but I, like Divya, mine actually has a new part of it, and I'm taking out a part of it. So I, it's kind of not the same talk that people might have seen online if they did see it. So there's a new part that's about um, creating a serverless API uh, with Cosmos DB. So that, uh, that part is really, I think is really cool because there's so much stuff that you don't have to do in creating an API that you used to have to do without using a serverless paradigm. Um, so I think the demo kind of walks through all of these, these pieces that like become super, super seamless when using serverless and especially when you're using it with a view application. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting. And there's like dumb jokes <laughs> as always. Beautiful. I, I, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure like, we're going to keep the dumb jokes, right? There's always, always dumb jokes. Always. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm actually curious how you do that because I, how, like, how she I, does dumb jokes. Yeah. Because honestly, honestly <laughs> like, I, I do the same, like, haha, sarcasm or like weird jokes, but like, I find that whenever you speak at a conference that is different, like not US based, like if you move internationally, jokes don't translate. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. You definitely have to find things that are um, kind of more universal. Uh, I've definitely done jokes that didn't work internationally before and went, hmm, that was it. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not like perfect at it or anything. Uh, I have gotten better with some experience. There are some things that are like, Universal, like one of the jokes is about, you know, exiting them, of course. That's like a low hanging yeah. thing. But that's also something that all developers of any nation can relate to. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to pick things that are either like universal to the human experience or things that are universal to a developer's experience. Uh, do, do you have an example of one that, that worked really well? You just put up a bunch of cat memes, things like that, maybe? Or... Are you talking to me or Divya? Oh, I was I was talking to you, Sarah. Uh, oh, if you have an example, clearly um, I was unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, so like I guess that in the intro, I I like introduce myself in like a semi formal way, and then like I bring Clippy on the stage, and I'm like, I work at Microsoft. I that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, hey, that is a good one. Yeah, kind of like <laughs> do my eyebrows like the Clippy thing, and that one goes over pretty like very well everywhere because. Clippy is easy to make fun of. Also, like, it's kind of weird to, like, bring Clippy into, like, a formal, you know, part of your presentation. Uh, so I think that, like, the juxtaposition of having something that's kind of, like, um, really standard and that. I also have this really dumb joke in one of my SVG animations about this, like, it's like creating a JavaScript party and then I talk about JavaScript being the event coordinator and then I'm like, get it, event. And, like, the fact that it's bad is good like the fact that it's like a terrible joke sometimes people like kind of you know like ah, ha, ha, ha. but like <laughs> <laughs> sometimes if you tell like a bunch of over-the-top bad jokes it does relax the audience a bit and kind of especially if you're just pummeling them with information it really takes the pressure off them yeah <laughs> <laughs> well in some ways kind of yeah 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 i think it is a good strategy yeah, show that you're a bit more human. Or is that how you start your talks then? Just like something to break the ice before you get into the deep content, or does it just depend on the audience? It, it depends on the talk, really. Um, so in the serverless talk, I do just have just a ton of dumb jokes through the whole thing, um, and 
for, and I even like change them up and keep making more dumb jokes as I think of them. Um, <laughs> um, so you have to see all of Sarah's talk if you want to. <laughs> they're not, it's not worth seeing them all for the dumb jokes. Um, <laughs> There's going to be a wiki later. I think for the, like sometimes I put the dumb jokes in the demos, like the demo is a dumb joke. Um, and wow. I think, <laughs> it's like inception um I, I give another talk that is about ethics in machine learning and that one's not as funny um as you might expect it does have a couple of like pieces that are a little bit funny to because it's heavy so people need some pieces of levity to kind of you know not feel so bummed out <laughs> through the whole presentation um but it's definitely i'm not like constantly cracking jokes on that one because it's a little bit more serious of a subject matter yeah, I think through the years, Clippy and Microsoft Bob have gone, gotten a lot of jokes for them, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution. Code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is, is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Chris, do you want to start us off with picks? Uh, sure, I can. Uh, let's see. I have not really been doing anything other than view stuff lately. But so a few of my picks will be the things that we did over the view sprint that are should be up by the time that you are hearing this. Tons and tons of improvements to the dev tools. Uh, we have some new tabs, including like a, a routing tab and a performance tab, which is pretty cool. Uh, we're doing some cool animation stuff. We should we should actually talk to Sarah later. She can probably make our cool animation stuff a thousand times cooler. <laughs> and uh, we also made some improvements to uh, View CLI. Uh, a lot of little stuff here and there, and also adding uh, an ESLint configuration page so that for all of the rules that relate to View, you can like toggle them on and off and, and configure them. And you actually have like descriptions of like what each rule does rather than just like looking at a config and wondering like what can go here? What are the valid values? <laughs> How do I know if I've broken something? <laughs> Which is an experience I've had a lot. Uh, and also uh, created a bunch of new ESLint rules to help people avoid all kinds of mistakes and avoid bike shedding in their applications. And, and all sorts of cool stuff, including, yeah, no, that's enough. That's enough. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. That, that was, that was a good list. Of yeah, I would, I would do that if we had the budget for it on opencollective.org slash view, probably. I hope that's the link. <laughs> uh, the link will be in the show notes if that's not it. Uh, if you, if you can get more money to our open collective, I would really love to do this maybe even like once a month have like some portion of the team get together around like some goal. Like, like this time we are mostly focused on improving um, like the developer experience. Mm. Yeah, totally. I would love that. 
and, and we, we got so much done. Everybody's going to be so happy with it. And be like, wow, I could just pay like maybe like $5, $10 a month. And I could get that kind of stuff every month. Yes, you could. And you should. <laughs> That's my pitch. You, hear, you heard it here fo- first. Wait, I said that wrong. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you haven't heard about the Open Collective for the first time from me. <laughs> and if they have, uh, where do they find that? Just go to Open Collective and... You go to opencollectiveprobably.org, probably slash few, something like that. And we'll drop something in the show notes that will definitely be correct. Uh, and you can see exactly how we spend all of our money. You can see that we we weren't doing like... Uh, I don't know, helicopter vacations or something. I don't, I don't even know what a helicopter vacation is. I think that's a term I heard once. <laughs> we basically went to somewhere where we could live cheaply for a while and then code constantly. And it was great. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Divya, what are your picks? Cool. Um, so my, one, my two picks are, there's an article on CSS Tricks called build a state management system with vanilla JavaScript, which I think is really neat for people who are unfamiliar with the architecture of building a state management system. I think it uses like the publish, the pub sub pattern more or less of like publishing and subscribing to events. Um, so it's a really great intro for people who are interested in that. And then my second one is an article called where Vim came from. Uh, going back to Sarah's joke on write and quit, they actually have like a reference to be like, haha, no one knows how to write and quit. Um, but it's like the whole article is an intro, like a history of a, an abbreviated history of Vim, which is fascinating. Um, cause I had no idea that their code base, uh, goes back to 1988. Also, I didn't know that Vim, this is probably super new of me, but I did not know that Vim was, Vim's abbreviation was VI improved. Uh, I just assumed that they were like two separate things, but which they are, but I didn't understand. I, I didn't make that connection until I read this and I was like, Oh, well, I guess everyone knew that except me. But yeah, those are my two picks. Vim and Vim and is even better though. I've heard, I've heard really great things. Vim What is the other? It's VI improved, 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 improved. It just, it, it really just started this last weekend. Oh, okay. Super. After, after all the other previous improvements, it just didn't take it quite far enough. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out. All right. Eric, what are your picks? So I was looking up during the conversation, this fidget spin by Sam Saccone. <laughs> GitHub. So it looks like it's made by Susie Liu, Paul Irish, and Pavel Feldman. And you can go to fidgetspin.xyz. And it has the spinner and you can spin it. You can see how many spins it has in the RPMs and the max RPMs to see like how fast you can flick your mouse to make it spin. So I think, I think that's worth going to if you're bored. Just don't break your mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can look at the code later and be like, wow, that's how you do that in JavaScript. And then my second pick is coder.com. I've been uh, mm-hmm. testing it out. It's in private alpha right now. And it's like a cloud-based IDE, kind of like Cloud9, a few others. Um, pretty neat. So it's, uh, yeah, coder.com. Awesome. Um, I'm going to throw a few picks around here. One is, uh, real quickly, uh, I have the Get a Coder Job course. Uh, it's on pre-sale until Labor Day. I think this comes out 
around Labor Day. So anyway, uh, hopefully you got it for 50% off or maybe you can still get it for 50% off. Um, but if you're looking for a job, I've shortened people's job searches from, you know, six to 12 months down to like two weeks to two months, just depending on where they're at. So definitely check that out. If you're out there looking for a job, uh, that's kind of what I've been uh, neck deep in lately. Um, I guess I'll pick one other tool that I've been using uh, to coordinate a lot of stuff lately, and that's Notion.so. And um, you can add, they call them databases, but they're basically spreadsheets. Um, you can add pages, you can do uh, to-do lists, which you can uh, change views on. So you can uh, look at them as lists or you can look at them as like Trello boards or things like that. And it's it's been really, really handy. So I've been moving a lot of my stuff over there and uh, have been inviting uh, my co-hosts as guests to some of these pages so that they can put their information in so that we can um, get their information out there and, and, you know, also just, yeah, do awesome intros and things like that. So anyway, been pulling all that together and that's been a great tool. Yeah. Sarah, what are your picks? Oh, what? I was just going to say, I, I like Notion too. Awesome. Sarah, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. Um, so my coworker, Suze Hinton is, uh, she's new cat on Twitter. She's amazing. Like she, I w was following her work avidly before we were coworkers even, um, because she does these crazy things with JavaScript and hardware. And she keynoted OzCon and did like live coding in front of thousands and thousands of people on like a hardware board. And you can see, and you can see like they, had like a camera go behind her and she walks through the whole process and, you know, hooks everything up. And I think it's just like a kind of stunning demo that she put together. And it really, she did a great job explaining things as she did it. It's no small feat to even do a demo, let alone a hardware demo and let alone a demo for a keynote for OzCon. So all of those things combined. And she's just really um, charming uh, on stage. So I think that's a really cool one to check out if you can. The other one that I, I wanted to say was concatenate. Yeah, again, uh, just definitely check out the site and some of the speakers and stuff. Um, we're going to be doing another one next year and we're expanding beyond Nigeria to Kenya, Rwanda, and South Africa. Um, so any kind of support that you're interested in giving us, that would be super awesome. Awesome. And if people want to find you online, where do they get all that information? Yeah. Um, on Twitter, I'm Sarah underscore EDO on CodePen, I'm Estraz on GitHub. I'm Estraz. Uh, I do a lot of projects on GitHub lately. Um, and also on CSS tricks. Um, oh, I forgot to say that I'm a staff writer for CSS tricks. So, um, I'm, you can go to my author tag. There's like a, a team thing at the bottom of the page. And I write a lot of articles about you there. So uh, you can check all of those out and they're all free. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming and doing an episode with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and uh, hopefully we'll have you back soon for another episode. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.